Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Casey. Let us pray. Gracious God, you are indeed just that. You are gracious. You are the giver of every good gift, and the greatest gift that you have given us is your very self and the person of Jesus, and we are thankful. We ask, Jesus, that you would be with us now, that you would speak through my words, that you would speak in our hearts, that you would give us what we need. Some of us need a fresh sense of your presence. Some of us need to be affirmed that the joy that we're experiencing right now is indeed from you and not from any circumstances that can fade or change. We all need to know that we are loved and that we are received in you. We pray that you would meet us now and we'll give you the glory. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. My music stand seems to be shrinking. But that's all right. We'll make it work. It's good to be back. Uh, we had a chance to be in Florida with family. I mentioned that. Uh, Florida is a great place to spend the New Year's, but it is great to be back here with you in Texas. And I hope you had a wonderful Christmas and a happy New Year. And I hope you've hit the ground running with whatever comes next for you in 2020. I'm not sure that's quite the case for us. We had a wonderful, wonderful trip with family. But as some of you know, when you go and visit family, it's not always vacation. It's good, even glorious. We had lots of fun, lots of cousins, lots of laughing, not so much lots of sleeping, not so much lots of rest. And so we've hit the ground stumbling a little bit, but we've hit the ground and we're here and we're glad. But given all that, I can say this, particularly as I've been reflecting on Matthew chapter 2 and preparing uh, to lead us in this reflection together, I'm excited. I'm excited, though I'm tired, because 
this is a new year. This is a new year, and God is going to do great things. I'm not excited because of my ability to be the best pastor that you could possibly desire in 2020. I'm not excited because we together have the ability to be the best church that Austin needs in 2020. I'm excited because God is going to do great things. It's what he promises in Matthew chapter 2. It's what we're reminded in this story of the Magi that you may be familiar with. This is a story that fits the epiphany season, the epiphany season in which God reveals his glory to us in the person of Jesus. But the Magi story reminds us that God doesn't just reveal his glory for us to see from afar and notice, oh yes, there is light shining in the darkness of our world. No, God reveals his glory to us in the person of Jesus so that we can then get to Jesus and experience him and his presence and his love. See, God is up to great things in our lives, in our community, in our city, because God is in the business of drawing people to Jesus. And when he does, watch out. God is in the business of drawing people to Jesus. That's what he does. It's what he loves to do, whether for the first time or for the thousandth time. He's going to draw you to him. And through this community, he's going to draw more in Austin to him as well. And that's something to be excited about. He's in the business of drawing people to Jesus. That includes you. And when he does, watch out. So this morning, as we look at this maybe familiar passage, maybe not familiar, I think we'll find at least three things. God draws surprising people to himself. He does it in surprising ways, and he gives surprising results. God draws surprising people in surprising ways with surprising results. First, God draws surprising people to himself. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me again. Matthew in his gospel tells us, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. If you were to take a poll in the early first century, maybe mid-first century, even late first century, if you were to ask somebody in Israel, who would be the most likely person or group of people to get to Jesus and worship him? Who would that be? If you were to take that poll, the Magi would not even show up on the list. Right? Any of you here enjoy watching English soccer, English football, Premier League, anyone? So in 2016, Leicester City had 5,000 to 1 odds to win the championship. 5,000 to 1, and they did it. The bookkeepers would not have given the Magi 5 million to 1. They would have been the least likely candidates to first show up, get to Jesus, and worship him. And yet, here they are at the beginning of Matthew's gospel. As Matthew wants to encourage us about who Jesus is and what it means to live life with him, he starts with these magi. They are the ones who get to Jesus. They are the ones 
whom God draws to himself in the person of Jesus. What is Matthew trying to say? What is God trying to say by giving us these unlikely heroes? He's trying to say at least this, that God loves going for the hopeless cases and the lost causes, and that includes every single one of us. God loves going after, finding, and drawing to himself by his grace the hopeless cases and the lost causes, and that's each and every one of us. That's the Magi. Who are these guys? Who are the Magi? I'll give you a hint. They're not kings, and there were probably a lot more than three of them. Right? The Magi, Magi is the Greek word that's translated wise men. It's simply referred to the stargazers of Persia. They were either Babylonian or they were Persian, and their job was to look at the stars. And they were kind of a combination of what we would consider astronomers and astrologers, right? They would study the skies, and then they would take what they saw and try and apply it to what was happening in their lives. So they were kind of wise men. They were considered magicians, but they were considered magicians not necessarily pejoratively. They were the ones who were looking for signs. They were looking for omens. They were trying to figure out what the skies had to say about what life was all about. That's who these magi were. And for a first century Israelite, again, they were the least likely, the most surprising people who could possibly end up at the feet of Jesus worshiping him. They had at least three strikes going against them. First, logistics, right? They were from the east. They were from Babylon. That's 800 or so miles away. In that day and age, given the transportation options available, it would have taken 40 days of hard travel for them to get to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem. Scholars assume that they would have put together a large group of attendants and hired security to be able to make this trip. It would have taken a long time. They went through a lot of effort. There were all sorts of logistic hurdles for them to get there first, and yet here they are. More importantly than the logistical challenge was their ethnic challenge. Right? If you know the history of Israel, you know that the Babylonians and then the Persians were not the good guys. They were the nations that came in and drove Israel out of their promised land. They were the oppressors. They were those people. And that's who these magi are. And yet here they are, the first to bring their gifts to Jesus the Jewish Messiah, they had their spirituality going against them. If you look in the Old Testament and even into the New, every reference that you'll find in the Bible to astrologers, to stargazers, to magi is negative. And this makes sense, right, from the perspective of the Scriptures, from the perspective of the God of Israel. Here are these people who make their living worshiping the created rather than the creator. The stars rather than the one who made the stars. These are the kinds of people that rather than looking to the fear of the Lord for wisdom, they look to their own cleverness and ability to interpret the heavens to give them direction. They were the worst of the worst. They were the far away. They were the foreigners. They were the idolaters. They were the ones 
of whom Israel would have said, those guys will never get to Jesus. God would never draw them into his saving purposes. Certainly not first. And yet, here they are. And this is so encouraging for us, friends, because it's a reminder that God is in the business of drawing people to himself, beginning with the most unlikely of all people. Maybe this is a surprise to you. It certainly would have been a surprise to them. And yet, maybe it shouldn't have been so surprising. After all, God had promised all along, it has been his plan from the very beginning, through his people Israel, to what? Draw all nations to himself. That's what he longs to do. He promised it in the prophets, Isaiah chapter 11. In that day, the day when the root of Jesse, who is Jesus, will come, he will stand as a signal for the peoples of him. The nations shall inquire. That's the Magi. The songbook of Israel was about this very thing. Israel sang about this happening in Psalm 72. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring their gifts. May all the kings fall down before him. The Apostle Paul, in reflecting on the mystery of God's grace, that he loves to call the least the last and the lost to himself, says this, Now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We ought to know this theologically, but we ought to know this by our own experience. God is in the business of drawing people to himself, the least likely of people. You know this because you know the stories of the people sitting in this room, maybe even sitting next to you. God's been doing this for centuries. He loves to do it. A few years back, at Grace Marin in California, we had a representative of the Gideons come uh, and talk at our church. And you may know the ministry of the Gideons, right? They're the ones that put the Bibles in the hotel rooms and in the prisons and in other places. And so this representative came and he told a story of somebody who had benefited from the ministry of the Gideons. And he quoted an inmate in a prison who said this. This is in the inmate's own words. He said, I didn't want to disrespect the good book, but I did need the paper to be able to smoke. Right? So the Gideons put their Bibles in the prisons, and the inmate uses the pages of the Bible to smoke. He says, so I read Matthew chapter 1 two or three times, and then I tore it out, rolled up some grass, and I smoked it. I ended up smoking all of Matthew I then smoked all of Mark and all of Luke. But when I got to John, this is his words, John smoked me. He said, I was reading those pages so that I could roll me a cigarette, and the words of the Gospel of John convicted me, and I gave my life to Jesus. Isn't that an awesome story? The most unlikely of persons to be drawn to the feet of Jesus to worship might have been this guy, and yet, there he was. It's kind of an exotic story, isn't it? We don't need the exotic stories. They're in this room. One of the privileges that I have as a pastor is to listen to your stories, 
When you come from membership or we sit down over a cup of coffee and you talk about how you came to faith in Jesus. Or maybe you're talking about the process that you're on right now of possibly coming to faith in Jesus. As you tell the story, what becomes abundantly clear is that the only reason you've come is because God has called you by His grace. You, just like that man in prison, you, just like the magic, magi, me, just like the magi, we are the hopeless cases. We are the lost causes. The truth of the Bible that resonates in our heart is that outside of God's grace and His calling, we're not going to come. This is the cautionary tale of Herod's, Herod and the scribes and the chief priests who were sitting with their scriptures six miles away from Bethlehem and they were missing it all because their hearts were hard. Friends, God loves to draw people to Jesus. The lost causes, the hopeless cases, the magi, you and me and whoever he decides that he's going to get a hold of. And so the question, a question for us this morning is this. Who do you write off? Who do you assume is beyond the reach of God's grace? Of whom would you say God will never grab them? They will never give their life to Jesus. Maybe that person is yourself. Maybe you're here against all your better judgment. And maybe you believe that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. Maybe you say things like, Jesus, if you really knew who I really am, you would never want me. Maybe you've been waiting for Jesus to be experientially present in your life for a long time. And he just doesn't seem to be there. And you're sitting in this room and you're thinking, I'm the last person that God is going to draw to Jesus. Here's the good news. The fact that you're sitting in this room is evidence against that. God is doing his work. He can draw even you. Is there somebody else in your life a loved one for whom you've been praying for years and years and years and maybe even decades to come to faith in Jesus and they still haven't and you're about ready to give up hope. Friends, be excited. Be encouraged. God is doing great things. He's in the business of drawing the unlikeliest of people to himself, even that person you love. Maybe it's not a loved one in your life. Maybe it's an enemy in your life. Maybe if you're honest, there's somebody in your life who you're hoping God doesn't get a hold of because you think they are beyond the pale. Let me encourage you. Let me challenge you. That's the, excuse me, that's the person you ought to be praying for. You ought to be paying attention to. You ought to be expecting God to bring to himself because he's in the business of drawing the unlikeliest and the most surprising people to himself, whomever that might be, even the Magi. Friends, God is drawing surprising people to himself, and he's doing it in surprising ways. 
You may be familiar with this story. And so you know that it is a star that guides the Magi from Babylon to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem. And maybe you wonder, did this really happen? Like, what could this have been? And scholars and historians have all sorts of answers for that. There were different natural phenomena that were happening in the skies around this time that could provide some kind of explanation for what this star might have been. Uh, One that makes some sense to me is that there was uh, a meeting of Jupiter and Saturn in the skies. And Jupiter at the time represented royalty, and Saturn was emblematic of the nation of Israel. And so it's conceivable that these wise men would have looked in the skies and saw Jupiter and saw Saturn and thought, I remember reading a prophecy about this royal king of the Jewish people. Maybe that's what's going on. It's plausible, except that whatever that was, God then supernaturally moved it for them all the way to Bethlehem. And the point is this. God supernaturally used something natural to begin the process of drawing the Magi to Jesus. Might it be surprising to you? Maybe it doesn't need to be surprising. Theologians talk about this way that God likes to reveal himself. He reveals himself through nature. Right? This makes sense. If God is the creator of every good thing, then when we look at the good thing, we ought to see a bit of God in that. And this happens. When we moved to California... And I would introduce myself to people in the community as a pastor. They would say, oh, that's, that's good for you. That's neat. I prefer to worship at the Church of the Fat Tire. I heard this like three or four times, and I was so confused. I was like, what is the Church of the Fat Tire? I didn't understand because I wasn't a mountain biker. And evidently, mountain bikes have fat tires. And so the Church of the Fat Tire, they were talking about getting on their mountain bike and riding up Mount Tam so that they could experience the glory of the created world. This is general revelation. And God loves to reveal himself through his revelation. This was part of our call to worship this morning from Psalm 19. The heavens proclaim the glories of God. Of course they do. He created them gloriously. And so it stands to reason that God could use something created to begin the process of drawing us to Him, the Creator. You've experienced this in different ways. I know that you have. Maybe for some of you, it was at the birth of your first child. And you saw this gift in your hands that you could never imagine being yours. And your first thought was, there must be a grand giver for me to have a gift this amazing. One of our very best friends in California tells the story of being resistant and resistant and resistant to her friends, trying to tell her about the glories of who God is until she was sitting out on the ocean side in California one day and she saw the immensity and the grandeur of the waves and she had an overwhelming experience of the reality of God. And it was just what she needed to then be able to listen to her friends who could say that God who you experienced in the waves is actually the God who has revealed himself in Jesus. Let me tell you about him. God's going to draw us to himself in the most surprising of ways. He can use a star 
But even more surprising than the fact that he used a star for these magi, he actually used their deepest idolatry. Did you catch that in this passage? They were stargazers. Instead of worshiping the creator, they were worshiping his creation. Instead of worshiping the God who gave them the stars, instead, in their rebellion, they were worshiping the stars. And so God used the very icon of their rebellion against him to draw them to himself. That's some awesome judo, friends. Isn't that amazing? To think that God can use your very idolatry to get your attention and to start drawing you to Jesus. If he can use your idols, he can use anything. God draws the surprising people to himself in surprising ways. He uses a star. He uses an idol. He uses his church. Maybe this is the most surprising to you at all. Isn't it the strangest thing that God has decided in his infinite wisdom that the way that he is going to assist people getting all the way to him in the person of Jesus is by using his church. The Magi from the star could get all the way to Jerusalem, but to get to Bethlehem and get to Jesus, they needed more. They needed more than general revelation. They needed a special revelation. They needed somebody to tell them from the scriptures, here is what that star means, and here is where you will find the one to whom it refers. And we all need the very same thing. We can get a sense of God's majesty from the creation around us. We can get a sense of his reality. We can get a sense of his impressiveness. But the made world can't tell us whether he loves us. The made world can't tell us whether we're right with him. The made world can't tell us how to be right with him. And the made world cannot communicate his very intimate presence to us. For that, we need more. For that, we need the scriptures. For that, we need the Bible. That God, in his grace, has given us a revelation of who he is and how we can find him. He's written it all down. And he gave that Bible to his church so that in the ministry of his church, people can find their way by God's gracious leading all the way to Jesus. Isn't that ridiculous? That this group of people sitting in Lamar Middle School, that we have that kind of opportunity, that kind of privilege to be used by God, to be the holders of his scripture so that we can help one another and help others get to Jesus. I'm excited about this year. I'm excited about our life together, about our ministry together. I'm excited about grapes and peas because they get to go learn about Jesus in the Bible. I'm excited, kids, that some of you are sitting here listening to a sermon that you probably think is way too long and maybe even a little bit boring. You know what? That's okay, because in the long, boring sermon, do you know what you're getting? The Bible. And do you know what you find in the Bible? Jesus. And that's who you need. I'm excited about our parish group ministry. 
because we're going to get together. We're going to talk about the Bible. We're going to talk about how Jesus shows up there and shows up for us. Friends, Jesus is in the business of drawing surprising people in surprising ways to himself. And one of those ways includes the ministry of this church. That's so awesome. So what did we say in the beginning? Surprising people, surprising ways with surprising results. Maybe you're asking the question right now, what will it look like and feel like to get all the way to Jesus? Maybe you're asking that for the first time. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you're wondering what that experientially will feel like for you this year. How do I know if I've gotten to Jesus, if I've gotten past the general sense that I can know of God from the stars, even if I've gotten past the truths that I can know about him in the scripture, but how do I know if I've gotten all the way into his presence? And the example of the Magi would say, are you worshiping? Are you worshiping? You'll know that you've gotten all the way to Jesus. You'll experience the surprising results because you'll find yourself worshiping. We don't have time to go into the details. It would be an entire sermon or sermon series to talk about what that could look like. But the Magi give us at least three examples. As they make their way toward Bethlehem, we're told that they rejoice exceedingly with great joy. They rejoice exceedingly with great joy. Is that what your experience in church and in the presence of Jesus feels like? Are you experiencing an abundance of joy? That's characteristic of what it feels like to worship him, to get all the way into the presence of the one for whom you were made. The Magi also show us that when we worship, we will give all the best of ourselves. And by the way, the word that's translated worship here doesn't just mean to sort of bend the knee a little bit. It doesn't mean to give God a little bit of who we are. The word worship means to fall flat on your face in front of one who is greater than you. Do you have that experience in your relationship with Jesus right now? That when you get into his presence at church through his word, with others, do you have an overwhelming sense of being with somebody who is so superior to you that the best posture you could possibly take is flat on your face? That's worship. Worship is bringing the best gifts that you have to give to him. Friends, when I come to Jesus so often, I come hoping for the gifts that he has for me. We prayed about this in our prayer of confession. Did you catch that? There's nothing wrong with expecting good even expecting great things for Jesus. That's why he came, to be the bearer of the greatest gifts that we could possibly have. That's why he lived and died in his race, so that we might have forgiveness and peace and hope and love and fullness and all the big gifts. They're ours in Jesus, and so we ought to come expecting them from him. But the Magi show us something different. Before Jesus said a word to them, before he lifted a finger for them, they gave him their best gifts. And that's what happens when we come in to the presence of Jesus. We find ourselves, not to earn his favor, but in response to his grace, wanting to give him all of our best. What would it look like for you this morning, this week, 
this year to offer God the best of what you have, the best of your time, the best of your energies, the best of your affections, the best of your monies. That's worship. Do you want to know if you've gotten to Jesus? Are you worshiping? Do you want to know if you've gotten to Jesus? Are you changed? We'll close with this. Did you notice the last verse? Being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. All the theologians that I read said that Matthew is implying something more profound than the fact that they took a different direction. Matthew is implying that their lives were changed. They came as Christ seekers and they left as Christ showers. They didn't need to find him anymore because they had him. And so what did they leave doing? We can be sure that they left telling everybody that they could find about who they had just found. They became the star shining the spotlight on the person of Jesus. Friends, I'm excited because we have the opportunity We who have been drawn by God's grace all the way to Jesus, we have the opportunity now to go and to be the ones who shine the light on him for others. That's what you do when you find the greatest thing that you've ever found, the greatest person that you've ever found. Friends, we're going to spend the next two to three months in the Gospel of Matthew. And I'm excited about that. Because God is going to draw us to Jesus. He's going to use us as we find Jesus together in the scriptures and in our lives to shine a light so that he can draw others to him as well. What a privilege, what an opportunity. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask that you would Reveal yourself to each of us in this room as the truest and deepest desire of our heart. Would you reveal yourself as real? Would you reveal yourself in your grace and in, our, in your love? Would you give us the courage to keep moving toward you wherever we are in that journey? And would you give us the encouragement to know, to believe that it is you by your grace who is drawing us. It is not dependent on our own efforts. We'll give you the glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.